We are, we are continuing our series called A Better Story. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Um, as we continue this, this uh, series called A Better Story, uh, talking about the story that, that God is inviting us into. And we've been going through this for a few weeks now. Uh, just a great time of, of just digging into this. And we're going to be camping out, as I said, in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Um, but I was thinking about this when it comes to stories and the different, the different types of stories that we uh, as people enjoy, one of my favorite types of story is our stories that include a redemptive arc. A redemptive arc, right? You have this, this character that you're introduced to uh, in the beginning, and you're kind of like, okay, this guy's kind of a turd. Like, I don't know that I like this guy. Um, exhibits all the worst characteristics, right? And you, from the beginning, you're like, you, just, you, you have formed an opinion on this person. And over the course of the story, as it goes, you see these different parts of this character emerge that you're like, well, I didn't, didn't realize that was even there. You know, oh, this guy's throwing me for a, for a loop now. I don't know who this guy is anymore. Uh, to where you get to the end of the story and you realize, man, you're cheering for this person that in the very beginning you, you couldn't stand, you hated, you know? And you're like, oh, this is just taking me on a journey, you know? I have experienced something, a range of emotions as I've seen this character's life played out. One of the ones that comes to mind for me when we think about redemptive arc, uh, do we have any Star Wars people here? A couple of you? Okay. Um, we experienced this, uh, if you're of a, of a certain generation, uh, with Darth Vader, right? And you're like, okay, cool, Darth does his thing. If you're of a newer generation, you experience Kylo Ren. Have any Kylo Ren fans? Me. Okay, cool. It's fine. <laughs> I'm up here. It's fine. <laughs> I'll get you for 25 more minutes. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Kylo Ren, grandson of Darth Vader, he's, he's doing his thing. He wants to be this guy so badly. He wants to be this evil mastermind. You see it played out. He's kind of just striving and trying so hard <laughs> to be this guy. And there's, there's points in the movies, if you watch these movies, where he has this line that I just, I, I, you, you pick up on it, right? There's this moment, he's there with his dad, and he makes, he makes this statement. He says, I know what I need to do, but I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it. And at that moment, they have an interaction. He ends up killing his dad. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, it's been out for years. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> Guys, come on. <laughs> he says this, and you're like, oh, man, I was not expecting that. Okay, he did it. Fast forward a few movies. Another interaction with his dad, who's the floating ghost of Han Solo. And he says the same line, I know what I need to do, but I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it. And in this moment, there's this transformative uh, encounter where you see him go the opposite direction, right? And by the end of these movies, he's, he's one of the heroes. He does all these things. You're like, man, I was not expecting that when these movies started. He goes on this redemptive journey to become someone else. I think about it from a biblical perspective, since we're in church, the Apostle Paul, right? We're introduced to this guy in the book of Acts. And it says, this is, I, I, this is how we are introduced to the man named Saul. This is his testimony. A man who was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. That's how we're introduced to this guy that we would later know as Paul, who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, who was so instrumental in the formation and founding of the early church. Talk about a redemptive arc, a redemptive story of, of being one person and transforming into someone completely different. 
It fleshes out this idea that we discussed a few weeks ago, our pardon story. Right? We, we talked about this in Genesis. In, in the creation, God says, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let us make him. And humanity is formed in the image of God. And we talked about what that means when it comes to responsibilities and roles as representatives of God here in his good world. Genesis 1.26 points this out. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and after our likeness. And on one hand, we get this really, really clear picture, right, of the ideal. Okay, we're here to represent God in his world and to be like him, to act like him, to talk like him, to live like him. Man, we have this really clear picture of who we're supposed to be, this identity in which God is forming us and calling us to live into. We long for it. We long for it at a soul level, and we know it theologically. But if you're anything like me, we have a problem. Because that's not always who I am. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you as people made in your image, made after your likeness. Lord, deep desire to be like you, to live into that identity. But Father, we fall so short. So this morning, God, we need you to speak to us. Not only just speak, but meet us in our brokenness, in our faults, in our failure, that you'd come. Father, as we talk about what you've done to invite us into your story, God, I ask that you speak, that you would be front and center. Lord, that we would see you and hear you so clearly, that as your people, we would follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Made in the image of God, but herein lies, there's a, pro- there's a problem. Because we're also made in the image of someone else. Just as, as we're carrying the image of God, over in Genesis chapter 5, something interesting is said as, as humanity starts to fulfill the, the calling that God has put on it, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That was the job. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply. And so Adam and Eve do, and they start to have kids. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 5. When God created man, he made him in the image of God. Male and female, he made them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. We see mankind reproducing after their own image, after their own likeness. Uh, I am a lot like my parents. Maybe some of you are the same. Um, I, have, I have parents, like all of us do. Um, <laughs> it's a thing we do. Uh, there's parts that I love. And the older I get, it seems like the more prevalent these things are, the more they come out in weird ways, <laughs> the more maybe I'm just aware of it now. I don't know what it is. Um, my, my parents, uh, my dad talks with his hands. I don't know if you noticed this about me. I can't do this. I'm always doing this. Uh, he's a big feeler. He feels. He cries. Anytime anything happens, it's a thing he does. Um, I'm the same. I'm a, I'm a big feeler. I cry a lot. Um, there's parts that I, that I love. I love that. I love that I'm a big feeler and I cry and I talk with my hands and I'm crazy. It's wild. It's awesome. Um, there's other parts, though, that we discovered that maybe we're not so stoked on. There's another part, and I'm not going to share all this with you today. <laughs> Keep that under wraps. <laughs> um, 
But we, we have these things, right? We're made in the image of our parents. There's stuff that, we, that we're born into that we didn't choose. It's just because these two people decided to, to fulfill the, the call of God to be fruitful and multiply. Right? And here we are. And we, we're given these things. Some of it's great. Some of it's awesome. Some of it we're like, Jesus, can you change me? And the, maybe the older we get, the more we realize how, how oh, there's so much here, Jesus. Can we start this process? I want to be different. Each of us has parts we wish were different. Each of us uh, carry equal uh, nature and nurture, <laughs> right? Some of it's just who we are. Some of it's the world we grew up in. that go into forming who we are. There's so much complexity in, in this process of forming and becoming, a lot of it's nature, a lot of it's nurture. So we know the vision of who we're called to be, right? We're called to be image bearers, to, to bear the image of our Heavenly Father, to be like Him in the world that He made. And at the same time, we realize, well, we're also bearing the image of our earthly parents. Some of that's great, some of it's not great. And the reality is, as, as people who are bearing this image of our earthly parents, we have a sin nature. We have a nature that is bent away from God, bent away from becoming this person who's following after God, who's representing him well, who's fulfilling our role and calling. We want to do our own thing. It's something that we're born with. We didn't choose this. It's something that we're born with. It's more than just a theological concept, church. It's something that we live with every day. It's all well and good to talk about who we should be. The reality is this is who we are. But man, I want to be that person. I feel it. There's this underlying narrative throughout Scripture that we see played out in the people of God. The people of God living into less than their full identity. Living into less than full image bearers of God. All because our parents made a bad meal choice in paradise. Right? This is, this is what we experience on a daily basis. Each of us has a sin nature. When God brought life through the acts of creation, and all of a sudden there's life just flourishing, sin brings about death and destruction. All through the Old Testament, we see God's people living into these realities, right? You think about a, a person like David, right? The sweet psalmist of Israel, the, mo the most fantastic leader this nation has ever experienced, right? He's a man, it's described a man after God's own heart. And you're like, oh man, that's all, yes! Fast forward a little bit, and you've got pervy David on the roof, watching a woman take a bath committing adultery with her, and then killing her husband to cover it up. Well, wait, hold up. That's, what? Yes, right? That's life. We're bearing the image of both divine and dirt. Messy doesn't even begin to cover it. These, these two parts at play in us. This, it's, it's in creation, right? We're made in the image of God. We were created from dirt and given divine breath. Both of those things are at work in us. <laughs> Paul uses similar language over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 47, he tells us this. He says, regarding Adam, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. And as he was a man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. Right? We bear the image of Adam and Eve. We bear the image of humanity, of, of these people of the dirt. <laughs> we carry this pattern of our earthly fathers as members of humanity. This part of this pattern is our sin nature, our bent away from God, away from what he wants us to do, away from who he designed us to be. 
And through this, uh, he, he explains this later on, as here we are in Ephesians chapter 2, that through this, death comes. Death is introduced to us. If you have our Bibles, Ephesians 2, this is what he says, starting in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of humanity. He says, you were just like a little bit off, a little bit bad. You were dead. You were dead. You're just floating along with the course of the world. A world who says, do whatever you want to do. What you feel like doing it, go for it. Right? We, we, see, we see the nature nurture at work here. This nurture saying, yeah, go for it. Just do whatever you want. He's, he says here, following the course of the world in which the, the, the prince of the power of the air is at work, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But it's not just the world we live in. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. This nature that's inside of us, this sin nature that says, I don't want to live according to God's plan. I want to do my own thing. And there's desires that are, that are now bent away from God, and we say, okay, well, let's just go do it. There's no fight. There's no life. It's just flowing with what's going on. Paul says you were dead. <laughs> you were dead. Living these desires out in a way that God never intended them to be lived out. Leading us, these two things at work, leading us away from God leading us into more and more death, bringing about more and more death through our lives in the world in which God made. This is the effect of sin in our world, and without intervention, we're doomed. This redemptive art can't take place unless somehow, somewhere, someone intervenes, right? We're like, we're like Kylo Ren, trying so hard to just be somebody important in and of ourselves. <laughs> but we weren't designed for that. And then some of the most amazing, life-changing, earth-shattering words are uttered here in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. This is the trajectory that we're on, away from him. But what does it say? Verse 4, but God... <laughs> being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Heading the wrong way, church. But God, he sees all this and he doesn't say, well, you, you did it, you eat it. He doesn't do that. He moves. But it's not something that we did to cause him to move. Paul says here, it's, it's, it's all because he is rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. He intervenes not because we deserve it, but because he is love. 
It's what he does. He's merciful, and so he moves. He doesn't talk about love or how he feels. He, his love leads to action, church. <laughs> See, the reality is back in the, in the garden. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Something died. When sin comes on the scene, relationship is broken. Not only our relationship with our Heavenly Father, but our relationship with one another. Death is introduced, and now we're broken, and now there's sin and shame, and now, now we want to keep people and keep God at a distance. And there's this amazing picture that's given there uh, when, when Adam and Eve find out they're, they're naked. <laughs> it says that, that God uh, clothed them with skins of an animal to cover them. A sacrifice was made to deal with, with their shame, to deal with their nakedness, to deal with their brokenness. Something had to die. This, this picture, and, and coming alongside the, the prophecy that's given there, that one day a Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. And all through, through the scripture, it's pointed to this, this thing that's going to happen. That there's going to come one, one day that's going to deal with all this, all this sin, all this brokenness, all the things that, that point us away from God is going to be dealt with. And he came. What sin did in separating us from a life-giving relationship with God and one another, he undid in a sacrificial act of love. Giving himself. Dying the death that we deserve and then taking his life up again. Conquering sin and death that we could be invited into a better story. The garden identity of being image bearers of God is now offered again to us. <laughs> All because of what he's done. This redemptive arc happens all because of his mercy and grace and love toward us. So back to what Paul was referencing earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about us bearing the image of the man of dust. This is what he says. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven, as is the man of heaven. And so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. <laughs> we are truly a mixture of dirt and divine breath. And through this life-giving spirit, what Christ has done and now offered and extended to us, <laughs> we are invited to live into a new identity with new power and a new purpose, culminating one day at his return. Paul later talks about this reality to the Corinthian church over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, anyone who's following him, who said, Jesus, I need you. <laughs> I, want to live into, I want to live into your identity that you've given to me. I want, I want to follow you. I want to take your sacrifice as my own. What do these people become? He says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All the old is, is dealt with and done away with. I want you to be someone new. I'm inviting you back. <laughs> I'm inviting you back into this new identity. But what does this look like practically? I love how Paul does this. In a few verses previous, he says this. He states that those who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves. That's sin, right? I live for myself. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't care who it affects. He says, these new creations, they don't live for themselves. They live for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right, all right, Jesus, I'm, I'm following you now. I'm here to represent you, to live into the identity that you've already given to me. 
as your representative, living into a role with responsibilities. <laughs> Through Christ, church, we're invited into a redemptive arc of epic proportions. Paul's a picture of it, right? This man who was at one point persecuting the church, dragging people off, putting them into prison, now all of a sudden is flourishing, seeing these churches birthed as the gospel goes out. God himself comes to earth, puts on flesh, and dwells among us to experience all that we do, giving his life away through crucif crucifixion as a demonstration of his love for us. While when? While we're striving for him? While we're begging for him to come and do something? Nope. When we're bent away from him. When we're his enemies. A new nature and a new nurture is offered to us, allowing us to live into a newer and a truer identity of who God designed us to be. Image bearers of living God. This is what he says. This is who we are. He says this, that we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Church, that is our identity. That's who God says we are. Now, we live in the tension. We live in the now and the not yet. I know this is who I am, but man, I'm still struggling with this man of dirt. I find myself bent away from him at times. Jesus calls us to something radical, though. Um, I'm thinking a lot lately about what we view as discipleship, as the church. Who, who are we? What is Jesus inviting us to? Uh, I'm reading this book right now. It's really good by J.R. Briggs called The Sacred Overlap, where he talks about this. This is his quote. I just wanted to share this with you. Discipleship is costly. We must be careful not to simply embrace an American cultural Christianity that sees religion as a shiny hood ornament on our spiritual car. This is it right here. This is what got me. If our approach to discipleship leads us to greater comfort, safety, and predictability in all areas of our lives, we can be sure we've missed the boat. Um, Paul doesn't say, you know, you, you guys were all right. You just needed a little, little work here and there. He doesn't say, you know, just try in this one area, maybe try a little harder and maybe then, yeah. He says, you were dead. You were dead and now you're alive. That is a radical transformation, church. That is a radical transformation. That is not, well, just add this little thing onto your schedule and you'll be good to go. That is a whole new way of life. Christ is inviting us to follow him into something radical. And that means us letting go. Right? I'll just be quite honest with you here. Uh, I don't like that. Where are my control people? Where are my planners? Yes. Uh, I, I want to have the plan. I want to think things out really well. I want to make sure that we know what's coming and we're ready for it. Like, I don't, maybe, I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared in this. And as I, as I read through this, as I think through this, of the, the life that Christ is inviting us into, uh, that doesn't jive. <laughs> it doesn't jive sometimes with following Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm anti-spontaneous. <laughs> like, and Jesus is like, hey, let's go, let's go do, no, no, I want to stay safe right here. I'm very comfortable, and I like comfort. But comfort doesn't mix with following Jesus a lot of the times. And so, church, I, uh, I think about this. Uh, what if we just said yes? What if we just said yes to following Jesus into a radical new way to live? 
of letting go, of stopping the American cultural Christianity where Jesus fits really nicely between 9 and 10.20 on a Sunday morning. And then I have my, the rest of my week to myself. What if I didn't buy into the narrative that I have to take control of my own life and make sure that I'm safe and comfortable and everything fits? Because that's just pride, right? That's just a lack of faith on my part. Where I say, well, Jesus, I'm good here, but no, no further. You know, I know I should be this guy, but I feel really good right here. What if I just said yes? My world would be upside down. I'd be inconvenienced. And I'd experience the most life-giving moments ever. <laughs> because on the other side of yes is Jesus. And he does radical things. Paul states that we're new creations. We're dead people made alive. That's radical. That's radical transformation. It's not a process of self-improvement, church. It's death and resurrection. Redemption is something that permeates every single area of our lives. It doesn't fit neatly between the hour of 9 and 11 on a Sunday morning. It's in my home. It's in my job. It's in my relationships. It's in who I am, and it permeates out. It spills out of us. New ways to live in the world that God made. New responses to conflict. New ways to fulfill the God-given desire within us that bring about God's life in the world as opposed to death. It's living into the story of new creation, a story that rolls onward and onward toward all things being made new. Toward the beautiful garden scene that we find in Revelation 21 and 22. This is what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the story. The redemptive arc of creation that we're invited into as a part of it, church. I'm going to invite the team up as we, as we move into a time of worship and response and, and communion uh, we know who we're called to be. We know, we know this. Image bearers. <laughs> but man, we live in this process of becoming. We live in this process of transformation. To use biblical language, we're being sanctified, set apart. We're in this process of formation and being formed in the image of Christ. And there's parts where we're like, yes, God's at work, and we feel alive. <laughs> and if we're honest, there's other parts where we're still living into that dead identity. I'm carrying that dead man around. And man, I'm tired. I'm tired of not saying yes to what he's inviting me into. This all, this all, this whole thing, this redemptive arc, all starts with us coming back. It all starts with us coming back. And this is what we celebrate in communion. We're gonna take communion this morning. If you didn't get one of these on your way in, uh, the tables are there in the back. I invite you to just grab, get up right now and grab one. Uh, this is what we celebrate in communion, this act of return. Of saying, okay, I, I know who I'm supposed to be, but I'm living over here. <laughs> and so I'm just gonna turn. I'm gonna turn back. 
I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of trying to do my own thing and live my own way and all the death that comes with that. But the reality is I can't turn on my own. I can't live into this guy on my own. Something has to happen. Someone's got to be at work in me to form me into that person. What Jesus gave us to celebrate and remember his death and resurrection is so beautiful to me because it wasn't just an idea. He didn't just say, well, remember it. I did it, so remember it. (laughs) He said, I'm going to give you a tangible way to remind yourself and to celebrate this thing that I've done for you. It's not an idea, it's a meal. Uh, In our house, we, we try to, most of the time, eat our meals at a table. Uh, and I, I've told you guys about this before. We've had this table for 21 years. Uh, it's, it's from a, we, we, were, we were super wealthy when we got married. It's a high-end table that we got from a high-end store called Ikea. Um, and over the course of, of our marriage and our family, this thing has been, this thing has been painted. It has been sanded down. It's been stained. It's been, it's been, uh, I mean, we painted it. Our kids painted on it. Like, syrups all over it. it it's, uh, this thing has seen life. And life is messy. Right? And so I come to this table on a regular basis because I have a need. I don't come full. I come hungry. Because that's where, that's where my need meets satisfaction. That's where, where, where my need is met, at the table, church. And I don't come and say, well, I don't need to eat today. No, I need to eat today. <laughs> this is the stuff that's going to keep me alive, church. And at this, at this table, we, we partake of meals together. And there's life there. There's laughter. There's joy. There's so much rad stuff. But at this table, there's also grief and heartache and loss. And it's, it's all life, right? It's the full range of the human experience at the table where we can come and just say, I have needs. And those needs are met. This is what we celebrate church in communion. Uh, I read a quote this week that I wanted to share with you. Because uh, communion for me, guys, it's one of my most favorite times as the church. Because th- this puts us all on the same ground, right? No matter where your finances are at or your relational status or whatever, <laughs> we're all needy people. And this is what this, this quote, I want to read this to you. This is by uh, Rowan Williams. It says this, We take Holy Communion not because we are doing well, but because we are doing badly. Not because we have arrived, but because we are traveling. Not because we are right, but because we are confused and wrong. Not because we are divine, but because we are human. Not because we are full, but because we are hungry. And so we have, we have this, he, he, knew, he knows us. And he's like, man, every time you guys eat and drink, I want you to remember me because I'm the one who sustains you. 
And so church, we have this, this little styrofoam wafer and this juice (laughs) that represents the body and the blood that was given for you. As individuals, he saw you. He saw your need. He says, I'm coming for you. But not only as individuals, he says, this is for my people, my body, the church. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and his people partaking of a meal. And this is just a foretaste of what's coming. So every time we eat and drink, we remember, right? We remember what Christ did for us. But we also, it says, we celebrate until he comes. Because we know that there is a day coming where this, this is God, where it's feast. <laughs> we are together in his presence fully and the process is done and we, we bear the image of the man of heaven, church. This is what we do in communion. But maybe you're here this morning and you're far. You think, man, I've I just been living into some other identity, trying, striving, just wrong direction. This tells us that there's a way back. And it invites us to come. Just to come and just say, Jesus, I I need you. Would you come and make me new? Would you come and do something in me? Just filling that void where there is no love, that I might be new. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you uh, so needy. God, so needy. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you invite us to a table. Lord, we didn't earn it. We didn't ask for it. You just invite us. And you've made a way that we can be new. And Lord, you love us just as we are. Not for who we should be, but just right where we're at, you love us and you invite us home. And so God, we as your people lift up those in this room that that maybe they don't know you. Maybe they're far but they're here. God, we ask that you speak to them, that you in the stillness of their soul would invite them home, that they would take a step towards you, that they would open their lives and their hearts and their souls to you, to be made new, to walk with you, to be loved by you. And God, those of us that are here that are are trying, God, such a mix of dirt and divine, God, we know who we should be. Would you enable us to take one step today to live more in the who you say we are. We are seated at the right hand of Christ, all because of what you've done. So Father, we give all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Church, we're gonna worship. And I want you to think about this. I'm gonna come back up after the song. We'll eat and drink together. Um, There's two questions I want you to consider as as we move into this time of worship. The first one, what's one area you've experienced transformation that you want to thank him for? Uh, The discipline of gratitude is so vital. And we we are just forgetful people, just forget stuff. So I want you to take a moment as we worship, just to think about one area in which he's been at work, just changing you, shaping you, forming you into his image. Maybe it was a previous sin that you were held in bondage to that he broke. Maybe it was a relationship that you couldn't repair that he did. Whatever it is, I just want you to take a moment and just say, Jesus, thank you. And in light of that, in light of that faithful rehearsing of, of, man, God's faithfulness to be at work in my life, the second question I want you to consider is, what is one area you need transformation?
What is one area when you need to live into a better story? You need to live into a new identity, who he says you are. What is one area you need to live into the new story instead of the old one?